0: Well, God always astounds me, continually, because this morning I want to talk about truth. (laughs) And I just went over to John and I said, you're not going to believe this. Well, you are going to believe this, but you don't know this, but I'm going to talk on truth. (laughs) And I want to plant this question in your head right at the beginning, and I'll come back to it in a bit. But I want to plant the question in your head this morning. What if it's true? What if it's true? See, we live in a world of information. We live in what is called the information age. We are constantly being bombarded with information, whether it's on our phones, on our tellies, as we walk down the streets, billboards, big screens everywhere. Those people who put screens up. Constant information. And we have to constantly decide, don't we, what is true and what is not. We see this information and we have to make a decision about it and sometimes it's a well-informed decision and sometimes we have to make a snap judgment about it but we have to decide what is true and what is not. And there's some stuff out there which we know is true and there's some stuff out there which we know is false but actually a lot of stuff we have to make a decision ourselves. We have to decide whether everything we hear about climate change, for example, is true. We have to decide whether the best thing... Uh, the best thing at the moment is to get rid of all plastics and use paper every, all the time. I heard something recently in the, about the guy that invented um, the carrier bag and he said it was intended as a solution to climate change because it was intended to stop deforestation. And yet we're now in an age where we're not allowed to use carrier bags because they're bad so now we have to use paper and we're constantly having to decide what's true. We we have uh, things in health. I don't know about you, but every time I turn on the BBC News app or something, it's telling me something's good for me and something's bad for me. The next day I load it up and it tells me the thing that was bad for me is now good for me and the thing that was good for me is now bad for me. I'll just keep drinking coffee and eating bacon. Um, <laughs> we live in an age, don't we, of politics, and I'm not going to go into it, but we all understand <laughs> The, the moment we have a lot of information in politics, which we have to decide whether it's true or not. And quite frankly, some of it is, some of it isn't, and some of it is somewhere in between. And there's a, we hear this tale of, we hear this saying, don't we? Fake news all the time. Fake news, fake news, it's fake news. There's even things in our history that we have to decide whether they're true. There's things in our history, there's things in the history of the world. The moon landing... People are still debating whether it's true or not. Now, I don't know, I've not been to the moon, I can't tell you, but I believe it's true. But, you know, there's people who say it's not true. We have to make a decision. And we act. We react to truths in a number of ways, don't we? We react, the standard two ways, which I guess are the two polar ends, is that if we believe it, we go for it, we throw ourselves into it. We believe something wholeheartedly and we pursue it. The flip side is that we don't believe it, and therefore we forget about it. But actually, there's there's an area in the middle because actually sometimes we're not quite sure. So we think it's true, but we kind of ignore it because it's convenient. So so I'm told that driving my car is bad for the environment, and yet this morning it was quite convenient to put my four, my family of four into the car and drive down. Here. You know, and there's things that we don't believe, and that sometimes we rebel against. So we see that a lot, we see that a lot at the moment in politics, things that people don't believe in, things that people say that's not true and I'm going to rebel against it. And sometimes that's important but we need to be careful how we do that. And the church I believe over the years has been guilty of rebelling against something they say is not true but in a really bad destructive way. And we need to, we need to go and stand, when something's not true we need to stand against it but in a way that's full of grace and full of love. But we are told that there are no absolute truths. If you go into the world, if you look around, we are told that there are no absolute truths. We're told that everybody is entitled to their own opinion. We're told that every opinion is right, somehow, um, and that people are entitled to make up their own truths, that no one truth can be valid. But we live in a world in tension because actually there are things that are true, aren't there? There are absolute truths. I saw this video over the summer and um, it's quite a long video so I decided not to show it. But essentially there is a man, a white uh, middle-aged man, five foot nine, goes into a college in America and starts asking questions to people. What would you say if I told you this about myself? So he says to them, what would you say if I said I was a five foot nine man? And they all say, or well, you're a five foot nine man. And then he says, what would you say if I was said that I was a female? And they say, most of them say, well, you know, if that's what you want to believe, that's, if that's how you identify, then that's fine. He then says, what would happen if I told you I was seven? And they start to question him. What would happen if I told you I was Asian? Remember, he's a white, middle-aged, five foot nine man. And they say, oh, oh maybe we, we look at your origin and, and things. And you can see it's starting to unravel for people. And then he says, what would happen if I told you I was six foot five? And they all look at him and say, well, that's ridiculous. You can't be six foot five. I can see you're not six foot five. You see, there are absolute truths. There are things that are true and there are things that aren't. And I'm not going to get into, into all the stuff that he discussed there. But there are things. I am not quite six foot. That is an absolute truth. I can stand here this morning and tell you that Manchester United are the best football team in the world. But sadly, I can believe it with all my heart, but sadly, if you look at the Premier League, if you look at all the stats, I mean, we can't score a goal. So, But if you look at all the stats, they're not. That is a truth, sadly. So this morning, I want to talk about some things that are true. Some things that I believe are absolute truths. And we're going to do that from Ephesians 1. So if you want to turn there. Um, I'm going to be using the message this morning and it's going to come up on the screen. Um, feel free to try and follow along on it. But um, I'm going to use the message because uh, I've, I've been reading Ephesians multiple times in the last couple of weeks. And I don't know if you remember, I just want to encourage you. Charlene encouraged us to read Ephesians. Um, she encouraged us a couple of weeks ago to read Ephesians because it tells us what the church is like. And um, I've also, alongside that, been listening to some podcasts and they were encouraging me to read a book from cover to cover in as little sittings as possible. I discovered you can read Ephesians, well I can read Ephesians, in the message translation in 21 minutes. So I want to encourage you actually this morning, I want to encourage you to go away... And read Ephesians from the beginning to the end and just take that time out. Because it's amazing when you read a whole book and you don't truncate it into chapters, it's amazing how you see a different picture of what God's doing and what God is saying. So we're going to start in Ephesians 1, verse 1. I, Paul, not me, Paul, this Paul in here. I, Paul, am under God's plan as an apostle A special agent of Christ Jesus. Writing to you faithful believers in Ephesus. I greet you with the grace and peace poured into our lives. By God our Father and Master Jesus Christ. Let's just pause there. Grace and peace poured. Grace and peace has been poured out into your lives. And if you take nothing else from what I say this morning. Know this. That Jesus and the Father have poured grace and poured peace into your lives. Let's carry on. How blessed, verse three, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. He settled on us. He settled on us as the focus of his love and not in a kind of, oh, I'll settle for you. But he settled. He focused on you. He went for you. He said that that person, that person there is going to be the focus of my love. He said it to you and he said it to you and he said it to all of us. We are the focus of his love. It's where his love points to. And he wants to make you whole and holy through that love. That's his aim. That you would know his love and that that would transform you. And he did it before the earth. He did it before the foundations of the earth were made. You know, you are not an afterthought. You are not an afterthought. This wasn't just something he made the earth and then thought, oh, I need something to focus my love on. He thought, I want to focus my love on these people, so I'll create somewhere for them to dwell. I'll create somewhere for them to live. He focused on you. You are not an afterthought. And just because you were in the right place at the right time, It's not just because of your family origin. It's not just because of those things. It's not just because your mum and dad believed. It's not just because you had an issue and you came came into this building. You were the focus of his love from the start, from the beginning. You are not an afterthought. And he chose you. He chose you to shower his love on. This is the truth about you. This is the truth about you that he showered His love on you. Let's continue reading verse 7. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. Abundantly free. You are free. You are free. I am free. We're free from the punishment of sin and from the punishment and the hurt of shame. We're free from hurt and pain. We're free from addiction. We're free from anything that would come between you and God. We are abundantly free. And it's a freedom that keeps on going. A freedom that keeps on going and going. You know, there are no booby traps to catch you out. There's nothing set up to catch you out on your walk. God doesn't say, oh, you're free, but just avoid these things because they could trip you. He says, no, you're free. You can avoid those things if you follow him. You're free. It's not temporary freedom. It's eternal freedom. Yes. And how? Well, Jesus did it all. His blood poured out once and for all. Jesus hung on that tree. He went to Calvary. He went... And he hung on the cross. He died on that cross. He gave up his freedom. He gave up his freedom. And he took everything on himself. Everything that could hold me. Everything that could restrict me. Everything that could stop me accessing the Father's love. Everything that would come between me and the Father. He took it on himself. So that you and I would know the Father. So that you and I could live in freedom. A called people. A people seen by him. We could live showered in his love and free. Let's continue. He thought of everything. I love that. He thought of everything. Provided for everything we could possibly need. Letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ. A long-range plan in which everything will be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven. Everything on planet earth. Everything. Everything will be brought together and summed up in him. He's brought us into his plan. He's brought us into this amazing plan. That not only are you free, not only are you loved, not only are you called, but actually this is part of a greater thing. This is part of God bringing everything to him. Redeeming everything. His plan to restore all creation you know, that's the truth about our world. When we look at our world and we see the hurt and we see the pain and we see the struggles and we see what's going on in government and we see what's going on on the other side of the world, this is the truth. That everything, everything will be restored. Everything will be redeemed. Restoration is the plan. And we are a part of that. Continuing, verse 15, that's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank, I ask, ask the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for us followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. We get to know him personally. We get to know the master of the plan. We get to know the one who gave everything. We get to know the one who is love. We get to know him. Verse 20. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven. We've been singing about that this morning. In charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. This is the truth about the church. This is the truth about the church. Jesus is at the center of it. He rules over it. It is his and his alone. The church is the master plan. The church is the way in which God will fill the earth with his glory. We've heard it before in this place. We've heard it in various other places. There is no plan B. The church is the plan. We are called to be a people who bring God's love and freedom into the world around us, who know it and live it. We're called to see the places where we live transformed. You know, the church is his Christ's body in which he speaks and acts. The church is how people know what God looks like. The church look at the people in the world look at the church and that's how they will see what God is like. That's how they'll see what love looks like. That's how they'll see what community looks like. It's how they see what hope looks like. It's how they see what holiness looks like. And not in a holier-than-thou way, but in a looking-like-Jesus way. In a barriers down, doors open, speaking for those who do not have a voice in a marginalized kind of way. And Jesus is over the church. And we are His. And not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but forever. Forever. The church is His plan. So what is our response to this, what we've just read? You know, I've gone through that quickly and I encourage you, go back, like I said, and read it and spend time reading it and read it again and read it again. But what is our response? To what God has done in our lives. What is our response to his plan for the world? What is our response to his plan through the church? You know there's two ways we can respond I believe. And it's dictated by this. We either believe it's true or we don't. We either believe that everything we just read and everything we just spoke about. And everything we've sung this morning. We either believe that's true Or we don't. And that determines how we respond. Now, some people are on a journey. Some people are on a journey towards faith. And they're questioning. And they're at the early stages. And they haven't made a decision yet. And that's fine. And that may be you. And I want to encourage you. Keep searching. Keep pursuing. Keep looking into things. Keep asking people things. Keep going to the Bible and reading stuff. And then going to someone you know and asking them questions. Keep questioning. But the majority of people in this room, I'd suggest, have made that choice. The majority of us in this room have made a decision about whether we believe it's true or not. And I think, judging by most of the reactions, the most of us believe it's true. But there are only two responses. And so the first is to this, well, what if it's not true? What if none of this is true? What if everything we've sung this morning is not true? Well, Paul talks about this in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16, it says, If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he, he was indeed dead. And if Christ wasn't, wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection, because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. King James Version, just for Charlie, says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Some other translations say to be pitied. If this isn't true, then it's time I stop wasting my time, quite frankly. You know, there's two hours, I don't even know what happened in the rugby, don't tell me. I don't know what happened in the rugby this morning, because I came here. You know, I've made decisions in my life, where I'm going to go to work, what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go to uni, what I do with my time, what I do with my energy, what I do with my money. If this isn't true... It's time I stopped making irrational decisions because it makes no sense it makes no sense if I don't believe this is true that I give so much it makes no sense because I'm missing out I'm missing out on that promotion I'm missing out on that uh, those timeouts with my friends I'm missing out on being able to buy a different car I'm missing out do you know you understand what I'm saying If this isn't true, I'm missing out. If it's not true, but here's the question: What if it is true? What if it is true? And I think you'll, I think I've nailed my colours to the mast this morning. I hope. (laughs) I agree with Paul, and Paul says in that the end of that verse in one Corinthians fifteen, he says. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. The truth is, the truth is that he has been raised up. The truth is that I am called to live in his love and in his freedom. And if I believe that's the truth, if I believe I'm called, if I believe I'm chosen, if I believe that he died and he gave everything for me, then there is literally one response I can give. There is only one response that makes any sense at all. And that is that I give everything. The only response, if I believe this is true, is that I give everything. Because this is an absolute. There's no middle ground. There's no point in being in the middle. If this doesn't, if this isn't true, then I'm wasting my time. But if it is true, then I need to give everything I have to the pursuit of God. I need to give everything I have to Him. I need to give of myself. And it's a journey, and it's a journey for us all in what that means. And for each of us, it's different. And I'm not going to spend ages with a five-point plan of how to give everything in your life. I will give you a couple of examples, but I want to encourage you, spend time thinking, spend time praying. What does it mean for me to give everything? What does it mean for me to give everything? What does that mean for my decision-making? What does that mean for my career aspirations? What does that mean for what I do with my personal time? What does it mean for where I live? What does it mean for how I live? What does it mean for me to live abundantly free? What does it mean for me to cast off that which holds me back from God, from pursuing him? But you know, most of us have no trouble thinking about it, what it means as an individual, do we? Most of us have no trouble thinking in our heads, what does this mean for me to give everything? But you know, if what it says about me is true, then it's also true what God says about restoring the world, and it's also true what God says about using the church to do it. If one one of those things is true, then they're all true. And I need to start thinking, what does it mean to live abundantly free and cast off that which holds me back from doing his work that he has called me to in the restoration of the world? What does it mean for me to do it in the context of my church? You know, the world is waiting. The earth is waiting for a people who understand this. Romans 8 verse 19 in the NIV says, For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the children of God, for the people of God to understand what it means. To understand what Jesus did. To understand that we're free. And in doing so, to give everything to this truth. The world needs us. So what does it mean For me to be a part of the restoration of all the earth. Where can I make a difference? Where can I practically make a difference? Maybe, maybe relationally make a difference. What about that neighbor on your street? What about that circumstance you heard about? What about that mum in the school playground or dad? And what does it mean for you in the church? You know, what does it mean for you to give everything for his church? Where are you called to build? That's a question many of us are assessing and asking at the moment. And I want to encourage you, if you're called to build, what everyone is called to build with the church. And for many of us, we're called to build here. And if you're called to build here, that's amazing. And I, w- I encourage you to throw everything, throw everything into building here. But if you're not, if God's calling you somewhere else, go and throw yourself in there. What does it mean for you to give your all for the church? What does it mean for your time, for your money, for your commitment? What does it mean for your relationships? So that we see unity in his church. Because the church is the way the world will see what God is like. The church is the way the presence of God goes into the world. And it comes from a place of his presence. The more we see him, the more we spend time with him, the more we spend time in his presence, the more convinced we will be of this truth. Verse 16 from Ephesians 1 says, I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is He' calling you to do. The more we see him, the more we will know we are individually chosen, loved and free. The more we see him, the more God will show us of His plan to restore the world, to bring redemption to the whole world. The more we see him, the more we'll become aware of just how wonderful how beautiful and important the church is, the way in which he fills everything with his presence. There's a hymn that sums this up beautifully. We're going to sing it in a minute. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, My richest gain I count but lost and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If this is true, and I believe it is. Then it demands my everything. My everything for me. My everything for all the places I go. And my everything is part of the, part of his body.